this morning, um, uh, and continue with our series, Blessing and Honor. How many, uh, can, can you help me by saying it back? Blessing and Honor. You know, uh, so this, today is our third message, and really our title is Honor God. Uh, one of the things that we've been talking about, and in fact, you will have to be blind to not recognize this. That our world, honor is something that's almost becoming extinct, extinct in our world today. Honor and respect, I tell you, disrespect, disrespect of people of authority, disrespect of parents, disrespect of leaders, even in the church, it is something that is instinct. But I want to preface my, prefix my message this morning by reading a scripture to you that's not on the overhead. So get your Bible to 2 Timothy, because I'm going to read just a little thing. And I want, I want you to say that it's not an accident that things are the way they are now. That's what, that's what I want to preface today by, by saying that. And I'm going to read just a passage of scripture, 2 Timothy 3. It's not of the overhead. So this is when you need your Bible at church. Your phone Bible, if you haven't downloaded the app, your paper Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want to, because as you see things happening in the world, it's not an accident. These things were predicted a very long time ago. So Paul says this to Timothy. He says, mark this down. That in the last days, there will be difficult times. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to their parents, a sign of their old end times. Did you ever think about that? Unthankful. I love it. When Pastor Chris was praying this morning, there's something, there's a phrase in his prayer that just resonated in my spirit. And he says, God, words cannot express. We don't have words to express. I don't know how he phrased it, but it's something to, to express how grateful we are to you. And that just struck my soul so deeply. How many are so thankful to God? How many are just so thankful? And, I, and I, I, you know, my eyes got watery because I thought, you know what? When I look around, when I think about my life, I'm thinking, God, I am so thankful that I know you. At a time when people are going farther and farther away from God, we have the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. You know, that's, let's not take that for granted, people. But it says in the last days, people will be unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors. How many have been traded? Even, maybe even this week. Headstrong, haughty, lovers of pre- pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And for such people, listen to this turn away from New Testament people the testament of grace the testament of love so anyway with that being said I wanted to preface that so that we are not surprised to see that there is so much dishonor going around but that's not the portion of the people of God the people of God we are called to be a people of honor in the middle of a perverse generation we stand out why do we stand out? Well, because we have the Spirit of God in us. Because when we came to Jesus Christ, He took on the old man and we put on a new robe. The old one was this, this, and that. The new one reflects something totally different. There's darkness, but the light is shining. Why? We have Jesus in us. So in an age of dishonor, of 
ungodliness, of all these things that have become the new norm. It doesn't have to be the new norm for us. There's a man called Noah in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 6, who had a new norm in his culture. But the Bible says Noah stayed righteous in his generation. And God saved him and spared his family and blessed them greatly. And we are all descendants of Noah. Because God started all over. So, that was the bonus. Let's get to the message, okay? (laughs) So, Genesis 22. Genesis 22. As we talk about honoring God, I want to read a story that many of you are familiar with. And, but I, I love reading the Bible anyway. Because I believe that something happens when we open his word. When we speak his word. When we read it out loud. The miracles happen because he sent his word and healed our disease. How I many needing healing still? The word can bring healing to you, to your soul, to your body, to every part of you. Genesis 1, uh, 22, verse 1. Now sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, as if Abraham didn't know he only has one son, whom you love. It's like as if Abraham needed reminding that he loved Isaac. And go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. Oh, what a mean God. The God of the Old Testament is horrible. I can't believe you Christians. How can you believe God that is so horrible? It's so barbaric, the Old Testament. You bunch of Christians, I just hate religion. How many have had that argument? Okay, you know you've had that one. So early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took him, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Now, I don't know if you notice what I'm seeing in just what we read. God tells Abraham what to do. It's the strangest thing in the world that is being asked. And it starts early the next morning. Abraham, do you remember deja vu? Abraham is the guy that was told, go to a place which I will show you. And he says, you know what he says when you read that part of the story? Early the next morning, Abraham gathered his family. And he went. Wow. So when he had cut enough firewood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place where God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Now you stay here with the donkey while I and, my, and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back. Was he lying or was he prophesying? Abraham took the wood for for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire 
and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke and said to his father Abraham, Dad, I don't think he says father, I think he said dad. Yes, son. Yes, Isaac. Abraham replied, Um, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but I don't see any lamb for the burnt offering. Abraham answered and said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went together. When they had reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, and then he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then they reached out, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay your hand on that boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Such a remarkable story of faith and challenge. But really at the bottom of it all, I love, listen to that last phrase. First off, do not lay hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now, I think that phrase carries the weight here because it's talking about the fear of God. Now, let me ask you this. You think God did not know that Abraham feared the Lord? I was like, oh my goodness, a new revelation. Absolutely not. I think the Lord put it there to teach us. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything before it even begins. It wasn't a revelation, light bulbs, light bulbs from God, like trying to figure this out. I think it was for Abraham, but it was also for us, but really not for God. And that's the case with everything that we walk through. God will walk us or allow us to go through a path Oftentimes, a path that we sometimes paths that we would have not picked on our own, but in the process, never, never, never despise the process, because in the process it shapes us in who we are becoming. So we benefit from it. It adds nothing to God. He is on his own class by himself. He's perfect, and he was not surprised. And it's amazing to me. But the thing that he drew out is, here's how I know that you fear the Lord, that you honor God. You know, the fear of God is about this awe and, uh, and reverence that you have towards God, that you put God above everything. And I mean it not just with your lips, but really in your heart. This is how I know. It's like you fear the Lord because you have not withheld anything, even the thing that's most precious to you. And that was the measure of how you fear the Lord. That was the measure of how you honor God. It's not by what you say. 
is by what you're willing to give up. That proves how much you really love or honor God. As I said earlier, that our culture has become such a, such a dishonoring or maybe a, a dishonorable culture. Man, sometimes I'm amazed. I'm absolutely sometimes amazed at how people are becoming. But then I go back to Timothy and realize, oh, it's not a surprise. This is supposed to be a sign of the times. Consider the passage I read earlier in New Living Translation says, people will consider nothing to be sacred. It's an era of like, oh, if God is love, why, 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 why are you doing so? You know, they'll use word, a warped idea of love that's not even realistic. Who defines love? Do we or does God? Because even when people say you should act by love, but they're using a different interpretation of what love is, just at a very micro level as a parent, how many, how many parents allow their little kids, their two-year-olds, to do anything they want? If I let them eat everything they want to eat, they will have ice cream for breakfast, cookies for lunch. But they taste good. I love ice cream. But we don't feed them that for lunch, don't we? Why? So why would it be any different with God? You know what I mean? Why would it be any different with God? So I think one of the main reasons, actually I believe this to be true, one of the reasons we see all those, um, 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 the culture being perverted that way, it's not because people are just dishonorable to parents and leaders and all that. The root problem is that we do not honor God as a society. We don't honor, honor God as a people. So it starts with really honoring God. Which when we get that right, I think it begins to affect all the other relationships. And not the other way around. When we get to the point where we have such a deep sense and the reality of who God is in our hearts. That we worship Him as God. That we follow Him as God. And knowing who He is. And really having that honor in our hearts concerning Him. I think... When it comes to people in our lives that represent different authorities in our lives, whether it's parents or employers or government leaders and all that. And I'm not saying you have to follow everything, right? But there's something, there's an attitude of your heart that as a believer and a child of God that should be absolutely different from how the world behaves. Jesus once said, if the light that's in you is darkness, then how deep is that darkness? Because if we have the light, it should shine. Amen? Amen. So the first step really comes with honoring God. And I want to kind of talk a little bit about this. And and, and I'm going to just get really down to it. I'm going to give you a couple examples. There are many different times where God talks about honor. But how do we honor God? How do we honor God? From Abraham's story, I'll pick a couple things. One, um, uh, we honor God with our worship. I'm going to give you only two points. Not three, not four, just two. Help me, God. We honor God with our worship. Now, Psalm 29, 2 says this. Honor the Lord for the glory of His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. 
Our worship begins, it actually begins when we have a different view, when we begin to see God for who he is. I think the problem we have in the culture, and I'm picking on culture a little bit, because I think we have to speak to the culture. Not conform to the culture, but speak to it. Confront the culture with the word of God. Because trends and all these things change. What was important to a generation ago is not important to us now. And what seems so important right now will be so uncool 10, 20 years from now. Are you still using a flip phone? Maybe some people do. So those things change. But the word of God, will everything that we see will end. As we know it, it will change when, but the word of God will be consistent throughout eternity, consistent throughout all generations and all cultures. So that's why we have to make our stand on our life. We have to build our foundation on God's word. Even sometimes, and oftentimes it does, confront things that are normal in our culture. Confront things maybe that are precious to us. And God says, hey, I know you want to let this, but I won't let you. How many of you ever been in that position? Am I the only Christians that feel that sometimes? Like, if the Lord just let me do everything that my impulses want to do, I'll be a mess. I won't be here. I would do some stupid things. But because you're building your foundation on God's word, then the word of the Lord guides you. And you'll get through some gray zones and realize, hey, You're right, and I'm not. Here's what I really feel like, but I'm not going down that path because you said no. Not because he's a mean God, no. It's because he wants to protect us, and he wants the best for us. That's the standard. It's his word. And so our worship begins with that. You know, it's amazing to me. Like, well, let me, it turns in the culture. People talk about how people have become, you know, what's wrong is that we don't see God as, as holy and who he is. Okay? We become very familiar. I said that a couple of weeks ago with the Lord. We refer to him like the man upstairs. Very casual, the big guy. Or things like Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is not my homeboy. He's not your homeboy. He's the king of kings. The returning king, the Alpha and Omega, the one that's coming back with us, Lord. He's the judger of the universe. And when we start tearing down these casual things and these casual approaches that we have on God, we begin to see God clearly for who he is. So we worship the Lord. We honor the Lord with our worship by having a clear understanding of who he is as holy. In heaven, the Bible says that continually, you have 24 elders around his throne declaring continuously, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with his glory. You begin to see that. Isaiah chapter 6, not up there, just you can write it down. It's an awesome revelation. It says that, you know, uh, when Isaiah gets a vision of heaven, he starts with when King Uzziah died, whatever, and they, the, the Lord gives Isaiah this vision of heaven. And the Bible says when he sees that, 
Like his eyes are open, he says something, he falls down to his knees and he starts crying. Because there is, he starts saying, Lord, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king. That when you have the real picture of who he is, you cannot help but see your nakedness and your depravity and how sinful you are. And you cannot stand in the Lord's presence. And you go so throughout the whole Bible. You see, any people, any people that have this di- divine revelation of some sort, the angel of the Lord come. It says it's followed by they were afraid. They were terrified. They were, um, uh, um, uh, just in awe. I tell you, this happens to me as a pastor. <laughs> as I'm speaking the word, I was telling my wife this morning, says, it's, not, it's really, the, it, it, it's, a, it's a heavy responsibility when the Lord says to handle his word. Because when you go in and look at his word, you realize, oh my God, I'm not worthy to handle your word, Lord. Because you see that, Lord, I am deeply flawed. And it's not to shame us, but he puts in us that reality of who he is and he changes how we worship. Because always God will respond with gentleness and kindness and healing and forgiveness. And then in his grace, he lifts us up. So then now you're worshiping with a disposition of humility. Not that I have arrived or I deserve the love of God. No, I'm unworthy of it. But how awesome it is that he gives me the privilege to be in his presence it changes how I worship and it becomes a part of my life and I recognize him and acknowledge him in everything I do and so I become a person a man, a woman, a boy, a girl that honors God with their worship not just the singing but that should play a part of it but everywhere I go I honor God you see the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Job 28, 28 says, For to fear God is wisdom. I'm not casual anymore. I realize that, you see, he's the lion and the lamb. We think he's a lamb, but he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. So His grace helps us to navigate through that in this dual dimension of recognizing and acknowledging how deeply flawed we are. But yet, He gives us the capacity through His Spirit to be vessels of, uh, of holiness, vessels of His glory, vessels of honor. That we can lift up holy hands, not because we earned it, but through the blood of Jesus, we can lift up holy hands. And worship the Holy One of Israel. We, he says also this in the last days that there will be false teachers. That, and that people, people will look for themselves teachers that will tell them the things that their ears want to hear. You're so beautiful. 
You're gorgeous. You're absolutely awesome. You're so precious to God. The whole world is about you. It takes the word of God and truthful things in the word, but it twists it just a little bit to make it about us. And it was never about us to begin with. The story is his. I'm just privileged to be a part of his story. We worship him. We honor him with our worship. And it begins with a condition in our hearts that sees God for who he really is. I'm already to my second and last point. Say hallelujah. Because we have to put that into action. And that kind of translates in the way we worship. I'm uh, so amazed I want to challenge you to come to every service with an expectation that we're going to meet God. That his word concerning what he does during a time of worship and a time of praise, that his word is true. Come already prepared mentally with an expectant heart. That's why I prayed the way I prayed this morning. I didn't plan that. But I felt the Holy Spirit move and I was going to tap into that. And believe that things, that supernatural things are happening. Why? Because the Lord's here. Because nothing is impossible with God. In just one moment, He could turn your life. He could do, um, one, in one moment, He could turn what you could not accomplish in your lifetime, He could do it in a moment's notice. We see many examples in Jesus' ministry of people that just had a little encounter with Jesus and he changed him forever. That's the same for us. So I get excited to be in the Lord's house. You know, they say, before I go to my second point, you see, I haven't even gotten there yet. I was getting too excited. Is that... It's, it's amazing, and you, you hear, I uh, talk to pastors all over the country, and uh, one big concern that's happening right now in the culture is that the people of God are not coming together to worship as often. They're not. And there's something that it takes away from it. There's something that, that you know, you, it's, it's very subtle, so you don't always see the dramatic change. But God set things in motion on purpose. That when we gather as God's people, it's something that he set up for us to do. You know, there was a time in the, in the country that very few businesses opened on Sundays. Because it was the day of the Lord. Now every little league ha- plays on Sunday. The standards changed. They consider nothing as sacred. I remember talking to Sister Bernice once and she was telling me when she was raising up her kids. And John... I don't know if the story is accurate, they correct me, but I, I remember how your mom telling me the story about when John was playing football and he told the coach, John, John, John's not going to play during church. He's, gonna, uh, he's not going to play during church and, and I think he was a good player, so they needed him. He said, if you want John, you're going to have to wait. And they, sometimes the, 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 the coach will be waiting and the, and the spirit of the Lord, that's the day that the, the spirit moved. And the pastor just got excited and kept preaching and preaching and the coach will wait. 
And John still played football. And he still got college scholarship. Because there's this tendency that we think that if we do not give up, that we're going to lose. Going back to our original story. Now I know that you fear the Lord because you withheld nothing. Not even your son. And in the story we read, there's something very interesting about the Lord's character that I want you to note. And the nature of God. Is that the Lord did ask Abraham for something that seems unfair. But God never intended for Abraham's son to die. If someone ever said that they followed through, they followed the Lord, you know they're following a different God. Because that's not true. Abraham walked the walk. But God never allowed him to hurt his son. Because God will never do that. See, that's the same with everything concerning our lives. Scripture says, whoever holds his life will lose it. And he who has an open arm, that's a proverb, will receive even more. I'm, not, I'm just paraphrasing. It's not said that exactly. That's, you get the idea. Sometimes we hold on to it because we, we are afraid of losing what's pressure to us. And the Lord says to me, when you give it to the Lord, you never, never, never ro- lose. You never lose. My second point, you've been waiting for it for a while, sorry. And they're both W's. So I was get a, a, a little right. We honor the Lord with our wealth. First, we honor the Lord with our worship. Second, we honor the Lord with our wealth. Well, some say, already said, oh, that, that doesn't apply to me. <laughs> uh, first time you see my bank account, you know, my portfolio looks really shabby. Not me, that's for the other guy, the guy that's sitting next to me. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with, the good, with good wine. Um, um, another translation says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the fast, fast fruit of all your increase. And you will fill your barns with wheat and belly and overflow your wine vats with the finest wine. You can tell which one I had memorized. And I always looked at that verse as a continuation, but there's actually two distinct things. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruit of all your increase. What does it mean to honor the Lord with your wealth? I think your possession is everything you have. And the way we honor God with it is actually having that mindset about everything you possess or own, however little it may seem to you, because there's someone else in the world, I guarantee you, that will see what you have and says, oh my goodness, they have plenty. I remember I used to have this little Ford Escort car. I inherited from my wife. <laughs> you get the picture. She had it when she was in college. And I was driving it a lot at work. Like, I was thinking, if you have a car loan, this is no condemnation. I don't like car loans. I used to write car loans for years, you know. I think if you get one, pay it off in two years if you can. 
or work out to do it. Because that payment, there are many different places that payment can go. I always look at that, hey, that's money that can be given, the money, you know, so I was thinking. So I'm driving this Ford Escort, and I was the boss at that work. And everybody that works for you drives a much flashier, nicer car than you. And sometimes think, and I'm, I'm a tall guy, I have long legs. And every once in a while, I'll be like, hey, I'm done with this, you know, because I could afford a payment. That wasn't the issue. I could just get myself a nice ride. And then the Lord would remind me, just five years ago in Kenya, when you didn't have a car, and you'll walk from appointment to appointment, and even if they gave you a scooter, you'll be so thankful that you could just go faster than having to catch a, a cab. But then, then I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can live with this little fight. Scott, you know. But it puts some perspective there. And sometimes we look at scriptures that maybe are the way they are written and we, we, we think it's for somebody else that that doesn't apply to me because I don't consider myself to have anything. But there's another person that looks at it and think, wow, if I had your life, I'd be so happy. So it actually applies to all of us, irrespective of where you stand in the financial scale. What God's looking at is your heart. Do you see the stuff as your own, or does it belong to God anyway? Because if you look at it as your own, then you're going to be very, very possessive in the sense that because nobody else is going to take care of you, you work very hard for yourself so you can take care of yourself. But if everything I have belongs to him, I have signed the deed over of everything I own is him to begin with. When he says, oh, could you, so could you get me some of my money that you have at such and such a bank and give it to one of my children that really needs it? Or send it to a mission place somewhere because it's going to advance my kingdom. I'm not freaking out because it's his anyway. But if it was mine, I think twice. I gotta have a two-year-old that you would serve her anything. She will not eat it. But if you're eating the same thing, it's better. <laughs> but once it becomes hers, like, can I get a bite? No, it's mine. They're so terrible at sharing. I just take, I just took it to Dairy Queen. I bought you the ice cream. Can I get one scoop in my mouth here? Like, no, it's mine. Like, I paid for it. You know, I bought it for you. (laughs) Yeah, but it's mine. And sometimes we do that with God. I want you to bring the first part. I want you to give 10%. I want to give 20%. No, 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 God, you know, it's mine. And it's a part that, it's something that has to happen inside of our hearts to see that. That we don't hold on to even money tightly. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6. And he says that, because as a, he says that the, the, the way your treasure, he says we shouldn't be obsessed 
with possessions and money. It's those types of things non-believers think about all the time. They obsess over these things. But he says that we should put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to us. I have come to know that God knows my path better than I know it. And I've come to know that even when I come to the end of myself, that God always follows through and is always a present help in time of need. And usually he does better than I do it for myself. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And then the fast fruit, the fast part of all your income. Uh, and the fast fruit, you will see that uh, word used in the Old Testament. And the fast fruit was the part of the offering um, uh, that, uh, that they in... Um, in the, the Israelites did, it was about this time of year. You know, it's about harvest time, right? Maybe it was, yes, it was a different time of year, but it was at harvest time. Before they could take any crop out of the field for themselves or to sell or for whatever, they took the fast fruit and they brought it into the temple as an offering. Before they could even use or even, uh, that was the first thing they did. And that's what he's speaking about. Not God, what I, I, you know, after I've spent everything I have, I don't have anything left over to give. That's looking at it wrong. The Lord says, no, you start with the Lord. And then you start taking care of their needs. I remember talking to someone once. He says, what if you don't have enough to, to give at the end of your budget? And, I, and I, that's exactly what I said. I said, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'll tell you what I do. And based on what I see, it's like, I don't start, I don't pay my bills and then pay God what he says to do. No, I give my tithes and my offering first. And then I work on my budget. And I've done that since I was 17 years old. And I tell you, when the revelation came, God is amazing, has amazingly taken care of us. And when I met my wife, Sarah, when we were both of us as um, young adults, or both working and stuff, we were both giving somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 or 60% of what we were making. Because we had the same heart before. Because as the Lord increased, we were giving more, you know. I'm still, I'm not doing that yet now. Things have changed a lot. <laughs> but that's my goal someday. And in all those years of serving the Lord, only once in my life did my income ever go down on the given year. And that's a year I actually left my job when the Lord told me to go and start my business so I could, I could be free to do more ministry. And then it started going up from there. And the Lord's provided. I, 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 and the best is that we do this. We don't give to the Lord. He doesn't need anything from us. He owns it all. But it's a principle that shapes our heart, that transfers who he is to us. I'm going back to that verse again, the verse 12 of the passage we read. Now I know that you fear the Lord because you did not withhold anything from him. Honor the Lord with your worship. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And there's blessings the riches of blessing that comes with that is multitude. We don't give it because we want something back from him, but that just is an, a product of living that kind of life. 
He will open doors for you that you never, never thought about, that you could have never imagined. Business people, I've talked to business people that have applied these principles in their lives and even in their own businesses and see God just really increase them. Is that our motivation that we get something back? No. Our motivation is that we honor God. And as we honor Him, He takes care of us. He takes care of us. You see, leaders give each other gifts. Kings give each other gifts. Presidents give each other gifts. I remember the, transmi- uh, the transition of President Obama and Trump. They had each other, they gave each other gifts. But neither one of them needed any of it. Why do leaders give each other gifts? Honor. And God's given us the privilege to honor him. Now I know that you fear the Lord because you withheld nothing from me. To close, I remember, I'm going to close with, um, I recently watched um, a movie, probably it's last summer, it's called The Hidden Figures. That's based on a true story. I'm sure some of you have seen it. I had didn't see it in the theater, but I, I wanted to see it. And it was about these three women, um, uh, African-American back when, in the 60s when they were sending a man to the moon that played such an important role in setting that rocket up there. But uh, they were living in such a hostile um, uh, work environment. Uh, they weren't being acknowledged, getting any credit or anything, you know. It's basically, and I don't know how much the movie makers uh, portrayed the actual reality to, it, it is based on, but one of the things that impressed me watching the movie is I, I was impressed by the ladies and the class that they had, even when they are outright being persecuted, abused, unused, and people are getting credit for what they did. And I thought, that you will not see that in our culture right now. The people that are living on such overt oppression, maintaining such a standard of class with them. I thought, Lord, help us. And it absolutely blew my mind. So maybe it probably sidetracked me. I should probably watch the movie again. But I was just looking at how they handled themselves and missed all that that was going on. I said, that's talking about being a person of honor, just because they are dishonorable, shouldn't change who I am as a person of honor because I have first honored the Lord. Amen. Let's stand up. Amen.